tonight to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4, and we're going to continue on there tonight. And, uh, oh man, I was at the store earlier. I got some snacks for youth group earlier. And uh, there was a guy that was walking out. He probably was in his mid-70s, somewhere around there. And he's like, I like your suit coat. I'm like, thanks. He's like, I bought one just like it a couple weeks ago. Great, I love my style, like all the like old men. That's good. And I said, well, I got mine on clearance at Kohl's for about 50 bucks. He's like, I got mine for 18 at Kohl's. I should have held out just a little bit longer, and I could have saved even more money at the end of the day on it. And so I don't, so when people are, comp, when I got the old men complimenting me on my coach, yeah. Oh, Anthony and Isaiah and Connor, they must have been messing with my phone or my iPad today. Oh, wow, Connor's got his mouth wide open for me, and uh, yeah, wow, looks like he needs to brush his teeth a little bit better. Look at those three, wow, thanks a lot, guys, I appreciate that. So, you weren't expecting me to do that, were you? And so, oh man, anyways, that's good, we, um, youth group, youth group today, we have the young adults and youth all together, and I do that at 415. Today's age gap spanned 14 years difference in age. If you throw me into the mix, it made it like a 20-something year gap, but we're not counting that. But um, yeah, quite a, quite a wide variety in there. But we're, we're taking some time, and we talked about this morning in our service here about how God wants us to be holy out of 1 Peter chapter number 1. And I'm going to be teaching them, the young people and those college age we're working on, developing a biblical worldview, and so we're going to take a lot of time over the next several weeks. I'm excited about it, and so we'll see where it goes, because that's quite a spectrum of age to have together and try to relate to all of them, and Eric said he liked it today, and Eric's my new favorite person in the class, so, and that's, it's just crazy to think. I was looking at pictures the other day of, it was Eric and William, probably first and second grade, somewhere around there, and it's like now he's in the youth group. That's a scary thought. I'm starting to get old. And Brian and Lori, that really says a lot about your age, too, but we'll leave that. But you guys really look the same. The kids are growing up. You guys look the same. That beer is still just as full. And I'm still, I know you went to the Christian school, and there's no gray. <laughs> it, from a distance, maybe. But it's, I was expecting after year one of the school to be like Moses, white, straight white, you know? And it just hasn't happened yet. He probably colors his beard. I'm sure that's what happens there. And so we'll leave that there. Acts chapter for tonight. We've been here now for a while in the book of Acts. We're going to continue here. And so Acts chapter number 4, and look with me down at verse number 23. Now if you remember, going back to chapter number 3, John and Peter go into the temple. And as they enter into the temple, there's a man there asking alms of people, and Peter says, I don't have any money for you, but I'm going to give you something better than that and how many times do people hear things like that and they're thinking, yeah, right, something better? And that man got healed that day. He got saved that day. He's walking and leaping and praising God and crazy things are happening in the temple. And then the temple people see this, those in charge, and they're wondering what happened. They knew that this guy had been healed because he'd been at the gate a long time. And they find out that Peter and John had something to do with it, so they bring them before them and ask, what happened? And Peter starts preaching. 
You remember that guy, Jesus, that you just killed a few months ago? Yeah, he's the one who healed this man. And he preaches boldly in the name of Christ. And the Bible tells us that at the beginning of chapter number 4, that he preaches the message and tells them, you rejected Christ, you received a murder. You chose a murder over Christ. And because of that, as we look at this, he told them, you need to return to Christ. Well, the people of the temple didn't like hearing that. So what they do? They arrest the two of them. But the beginning of chapter 4 tells us 5,000 got saved because of that message. That's an amazing thing to happen as they're being arrested, the Bible says. And so they take them and they hold them. And they basically, at the end of the day, say, no more preaching in the name of Jesus. You don't do it or you're going to really get it. They were trying to scare them just a little bit. And we see the fact that Peter speaks up, and we see what the Holy Spirit has done to these men. And we look at verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more than unto God judge ye. For ye cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. You see, it goes back, remember in Jesus' day? They didn't arrest him during the day because the people liked Jesus. That's why they did what they did at night with Jesus. And here, during the day, they could not take Peter and John and do anything with them because of the people. Keep on reading. It says, because of all the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was far above, or was above 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. You've got to remember, they didn't have their iPhones to take a video of what was being said to them. There was no Facebook posts out there, oh, Peter and John got arrested. They had been gone overnight. They know they went to the temple to pray. And then all of a sudden, they're no longer there. And so look at verse number 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, his anointed one. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. Verse 28 there tells us, For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began and they spake the word of God with boldness. What we see before our very eyes, we are getting a glimpse at the church in Jerusalem. We're looking at how 
God used them to really springboard this thing of a church. We're seeing what they did. We're seeing things play out before our eyes. And one resounding fact that we see over and over again in this passage and what we've been studying is the importance of prayer and the importance of the Holy Spirit power. Over and over and over and over again. Do you see that with me? Have you been getting that as we go through here? We see the importance of prayer. They were praying together, and they had the Spirit of God working. You know what our churches need today more than anything? We don't need to be on the cutting edge of every new technology. Our website doesn't even have to be the greatest, although I want a good website that's easy for people to use. I want that. Our live stream doesn't have to be perfect, and it's not, but it's far better than what it was two years ago, two and a half years ago. Go back sometime on YouTube and look pre-March 15, 2020, and look at our, at our live stream. It was so bad. I mean, it literally was hanging on the wall in the corner right there, and it literally was like five seconds slower than what the voice was. You could barely hear things. It was awful, but we, didn't, we barely used it. I didn't like it. Now we, have, we do pretty good with it overall. But you don't have to have all that. You don't have to have a fancy building. They didn't, you know, where was their building at? They just met wherever they could, right? You don't have to have the best padded chairs, the best carpet. What a church needs is time with God in prayer and the power of God on that place. That's what we need today. You know what the problem with the church today is and churches around us and churches in general? The lack of prayer and the lack of Holy Spirit power. We have a lot of big churches, medium-sized churches, small churches that have unlimited resources in the Spirit of God, and yet they are powerless in this world today because the lack of prayer and the lack of Holy Spirit power found in the place. What I love as we go through this passage is this church was a community. They were there for one another. They cared about one another. You know, where did, when Peter and John got let go, where did they go? They went to their church family. Am I wrong in that statement? I'm not wrong in that statement. A church family matters. The importance of the fellowship of God's people together, encouraging, provoking one another to good works. Why we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We're supposed to be encouraging and exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. As we look tonight at this passage and as we dive a little deeper into it, I want to talk about the importance of fellowship. Now, I'm not talking about you getting together and having a gossip session about all the other Christians in the church. That's not a good time of fellowship. That should not happen. And let me just remind you, there is a biblical way to handle issues. Because this is the thing. In a church, you're going to have issues from time to time. They happen. You say, why do, why do issues happen? Because, number one, there's no one perfect in this room tonight. And where you have imperfect people, there's going to be problems. It's going to happen. And there, people will have problems with me at times. Why? Because I'm as close to perfect as I can be, but I'm still far from it. 
You in this room, we're all far from it. But you've got to understand the importance of God's people doing God's work together. I want you to see that tonight in this passage. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. And I pray that you'd help us and encourage us through this passage, that we could see some things that could help our church tonight and that we could use going forward for you in a greater way. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A church is supposed to be a body of believers. If my hands want to do something different than what my brain wants them to do, it's going to be kind of awkward going through life, isn't it? I want to pick up the fork to eat my food. And my hand's like, I'm tired of you using me for that. I'm not going to do it. If your body starts acting as individual parts, your body's not going to function very well. Because your mind's going to want to go this way, and your feet are like, I don't care what you want to do, I'm going this way. And your hands are like, well, I want to go that way. And then, yeah, that wouldn't be very good if all your body parts start going in different directions. The problem is that's how a lot of churches are. We have a lot of individual bodies in a church doing their own thing and doing their own agenda and their own goals, their own mission, when we're supposed to be a body together focused on the purpose of what we have to fulfill God's work in this place. As we look here tonight, I want you to see several thoughts tonight. Number one, as we dive into the outline, we see that they suffered together. They suffered together. Say, oh no, it was Peter and John that suffered. Yes, they were the ones who were arrested. They are the ones who were threatened. But look at verse 23. It says, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. What we see here is that they suffered together. We see letter A, the fact that they went to their own company. They went to their church. They went to their group. This is who they fellowshiped with. They went, to their, they went there to talk about this. It would be, when people are struggling, who do they reach out to? When someone in the body is suffering, I don't know if you realize it, if someone is going through something in the body, we all are suffering. Yeah. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That love your neighbor as yourself thing. If someone's suffering within the body that you're a part of, we're all, we're all a part of that. And we need to help them and encourage them. I love the fact that Peter and John could go to their company, to their church, and let them know and bear their hearts out. They could share with their church, hey, this is what it was like in prison last night. They threatened us. They were there, and they heard what happened. They shared in the suffering with them. And as we look at this and we see they went to their own company, we see that they reported the situation to them. They had been rejected by the Sanhedrin there and those people. The Jewish believers would, and you've got to understand, they were all going to be rejected at some point. And when we look at these things and we think on them, I think about what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter number 4, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, 
that when his glory shall be revealed, he might be glad also with exceeding joy. And you got to understand something. Hard times are going to come. And they were letting them know. This is what's taken place. This is what we've gone through. They suffered together. Number two tonight. We see after they suffered together, they prayed together. You know what I love? They didn't sit around and complain about the religious leaders. Whoo, there's a good one right there, huh? They didn't sit around and complain about all the, those in the Sanhedrin. They didn't complain about all those people. They didn't sit around and say, oh, the high priest is so bad and all of this. No, what they do? They gave a report about what happened, and then they did something about the problem. This is where we get off today. We like to sit and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and it doesn't do any good. Our government's so bad. I've heard so many people say that. You can sit around all day and talk about it. You can just turn on the news and the talking heads do it for you. And at the end of the day, it's getting no better, and you just feel worse the more you hear about it. But they reported what took place, and then they got on their knees and they prayed to God. He can actually do something about it. I try to make this a common practice. I had a lady the other day, um, Ryan got caught, and she caught him. And she wanted, she, wanted, she was persistent. She was a persistent one. And sometimes people will come, they need money or they need something else. And sometimes they're real persistent, and sometimes they're not. She asked for my phone number. And I'm like, and Ryan's like, should I give her your phone number? I'm like, tell her to call the church phone. She called it a minute ago, and you didn't answer it. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, fine, give her my number. She was very persistent. And so her son has cancer, and she's behind on a bill for her house. And so she's been persistent. Her importunity, as the scripture says, has been, and it paid off for her today. I gave her a little something myself today. She came by. But as she was here, she's telling me about her son and his cancer and those issues there. And before she left, I stopped what we were doing, and we prayed for her son. It's one of the habits I've tried to change over time. So many times people will be like, Pastor, you pray for this person. Or pray, let's just pray right now. But we see they came to their church, and when they told the church what had taken place, we see the fact that they went to God in prayer. Man, God's house needs to be a place of prayer. I mentioned our prayer service is right around the corner. It's going to be here starting in September. In a couple of weeks, you're going to get the details about it. All it is is prayer. There's nothing else to it. And it will be prayer for a good, solid, almost hour. And you might say, well, I don't know if I could. You do whatever the Lord leads you to. I'm going to be here praying, and if you want to join me, you come and do it. It's probably going to be before the Wednesday night service on Wednesdays will be the time. Like, oh, but what if I miss dinner? If dinner's more important than praying, you do whatever the Lord leads you to do, and that's fine. I'm not going to push people to do certain. You do what the Lord leads you to do, and I'll do what I'm supposed to do, and that's fine. I think you see that the Lord keeps pressing on us. We start studying the book of Acts, and we see the importance of prayer and the Holy Spirit power. I think that's like God says, hello, 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 yeah. So, as we look at this, we see the early church here, they prayed. Now, what'd they pray? Letter A, as we look at this, they prayed a prayer of praise to begin with. 
They prayed a prayer of praise. We see it begins, number one, they praised a powerful God. To a powerful God. We look there in verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. Thou hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. They started out by praying to a, and giving praise to a powerful God. You see, I love the fact, and this is important with prayer. Uh, we don't see them going right away, God, we need deliverance from the religious folks in Jerusalem. Isn't that how we pray most of the time? We have a need and we take that need to God. No, they start out, God, you are all powerful. You made the earth, you made the heavens, and you made everything in it. You are a powerful God, and we recognize that, and we give you praise for who you are. I think it's a, a, the way that we're supposed to go to God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's how we're supposed to pray. Too many times we just want to rub the magic lamp and say, this is what I need, please do this. God is not a genie. Although we treat him like one. They pray to prayer praise to a powerful God. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You've got to understand something. Before they asked him for deliverance, they praised him for who he is. And you've got to understand something. The Sanhedrin, they had power. But may I just remind you, the Lord had all power. There's a big difference in the two. We see this prayer of praise begins with to a powerful God. Number two, to an all-knowing God. To an all-knowing God. If you look at verse 25 there through 28, it says, Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom they have anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. He is talking about, as we see this as they're praying, they are praying Psalm chapter number 2. Take your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2 for a minute. This is the psalm that they're mentioning. Go to Psalm chapter number 2. And if you realize and you look at Psalm chapter number 2, it's prophetic about Christ, and it's a messianic psalm, but it also is a prophetic psalm talking about the battle of Armageddon to take place in Psalm chapter number 2. The Bible says there, Why doth the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? It's, we look at verse 2, it says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their, bond, their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. I will declare, and as we look here, 
This is really talking about the battle of Armageddon that's going to take place. Everyone's going to come up against Israel. And as we look at these things here and we see it, we see that God knows all things. God knew before Jesus ever came and back in the days of David that they were going to reject him. Before We read this morning, before the foundation of the world, Christ was chosen to be, he was foreordained to be slain for us. And so as we look at the early church here tonight in Acts chapter number 4, we see the fact they suffered together. They gave the report and let the church know this is what's taking place and this is what's probably coming for all of us. And what did they do? They didn't go fear and hide in a room. They got on their knees before God and they prayed to their God. And as they prayed to their God, they started with a prayer of praise to a powerful God, to an all-knowing God. And as we continue here and look a little bit for, further, we see there was also, um, letter B, a prayer for help. But may I just remind you, the prayer for help came after the prayer of praise to God. God always deserves and should have praise. It might do us a lot of good to change the way that we pray and start adding more praise than asking for help. Ask for help, but praise him first. So well, if I praise him, am I going to get more out? See, that's the problem. The older I get, the more I look back at younger Brian, I wanted to smack younger Brian around. Because literally, there were times in my life I would pray and fast and do certain things because I felt like God would do more for me if I did those things. And what a terrible way to live the Christian life. Man, I go to God now, I don't... I pray and I have requests I bring to God. But they're way down at the bottom of my prayers. I just need Him. I just need his presence in my life, and I need his help in my life. And I just need, and it's getting to the point, and I love this, and this, and this isn't bragging, this isn't anything of that nature. My prayers now are more like I just need to talk to my friend than that I'm coming to get something from you. You remember as a kid, you would go to your parents when you needed something, or you wanted something. Alyssa told someone the other day, she's like, I give my dad a certain look, He'll give me anything I want. I asked her, did you say that? Yep. Do you believe that? Yep. I said, try it. She looks at me, and I'm looking this way. Nope. Nope. Didn't even look at her. But you know, or as a kid, you would want something, and so you'd, like, clean your room. You'd do what you need to do, and maybe do a little extra little initiative you do the dishes you do a few things and then you're just trying to butter your parents up to ask them for something oh, oh I, none of you ever did that did you none of you ever were like that but that's what we do with God that's what we think oh we can just butter him up we can talk to him if I praise him enough then he'll just he'll help me no it's getting to the point in my prayer life now and it took it's taken a lot of time to where, no, I just need him. Where there are certain times and life is stressful where I say, I'm just going up to the mountains, I'm going to the beach, because I just need time with him. I long for that time. Where if I go several hours without talking to him, I'm like, ugh, something's just missing. That's what the Christian life needs to turn into. And I got a long ways to go. 
but I love the fact that that's changing from how it was. And that's important. But we see that there's a prayer for help. And as we look at that and we think about this, and they tell the Lord, you look there in verse number um, verse number 28, 29, it says, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Lord, you look at what they're doing. They are threatening us for preaching in your name. And look at what it says here. Lord, take away their threatenings. They didn't ask for that, did they? Lord, stop them from persecuting us. Stop the trial in our life. Is that what they prayed for? No, 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 no. Look what they prayed. Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. What a prayer. What a prayer right there. We see number one, hey, Lord, grant us courage. Give us boldness. Hey, God, give us boldness. I love the fact they didn't say, Lord, just have their threatening stop. Move them out of the way. No, Lord, if I got to suffer for you, give me the boldness to suffer for you. That's literally what they said. What a prayer right there. And sometimes I think we pray the wrong things. Lord, take this away. Lord, give me the grace to get through what's going on. Might be a better prayer. There's a lot of things I could say there. You see, they didn't ask for the problem to go away. They asked for boldness to deal with the problem. And then we see number two. We see that they, Lord, show us visible signs. They wanted some signs. They wanted confirmation of God's power. You look at verse number 30. It says, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. you got to understand something that the apostles they had certain gifts that we don't have today. There was the gift of speaking in tongues. There was the gift of healing. We don't have those open gifts, those apostolic gifts like they did. Why? Because the word of God is complete. We don't need those today. And the Bible even talks about the fact that the Jews, they required a sign. That's what the Bible tells us. And as we look at this thing... We see that they went to their own. They went to their church. They told them what was going on. And the church got on their knees before God. And they start out by praising God for his power and that he was all-knowing. And then they prayed to him for help. And they prayed not for their situation to go away, but for boldness in the midst of the persecution. And not only boldness in the midst of it, but God, let your signs show through, and may we heal people in the name of Jesus. They wanted to continue Jesus' work. And then lastly tonight, we see what takes place. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Could you imagine such a prayer meeting where God's people are so in tune with God that the whole room begins to shake? 
The room is shaking. They are all filled with the power of God. And we don't see that they went out speaking in tongues or gibbering to one another. They spoke God's word with boldness. I mentioned it to you before, and I'm going to say it again. A key to seeing if someone is filled with the Spirit of God is how their boldness is. Why? I, I'm just so scared to talk about Jesus. You might need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Last time I checked, you, those that are saved in this room, which I think is most of you in this room, the Spirit of God is inside of all of us that are saved. The question is not how much more can we get of the Holy Spirit. The question is what can the Holy Spirit get of us. And we see that this church, they came together, they suffered together. And as they suffered together, they went to the one who could help their problems. But they went to the one who could help their problems not to get him to take away the problems. They worshipped him, they praised him. And then they asked for help. Not to take it away, God, just give us boldness. Give us courage. Give us the strength to stand, even though they tell us not to preach in Jesus' name. Though they say these things to us, do you realize, really, the world's not much different today than what it was 2,000 years ago? And it's going to get worse? People do not like the name of Jesus. Why is it that they say, don't pray in Jesus' name? Because they don't like his name. That's inclusive, and it's referring to one God. Duh! Because there is only one God. There's only one name given among men whereby ye must be saved, the name of Jesus. And people don't like that. But the problem is today we don't hear many Christians speaking up. And you say, well, pastor, what's the problem? We're full of everything but the Spirit. What could happen in this world today if Christians would get filled with the Spirit of God and let God do His work through us? It could change our churches, change our communities, change our world. You see, a great example from this early church, they came together, they suffered together, they prayed together, and they were filled with the Spirit 